Morning, Springbok supporters. <laughs> I, I wore this scarf 1995 when we won the World Cup. We were at the privilege of going to watch the match 95 in London at the South African High Commissioner's house. And uh, as we were coming back into London, uh, I wore this and I got stopped along the way by so many people congratulating me like I played, you know. <laughs> But I don't know about you, but it does feel like we've played, not just last night, but for the last three weeks. Can somebody tell a South African you can win with more than one point, please? You know, because now we've got the cricket coming, but uh, aren't we thankful just for just, just what happened, you know? Um, my heart, my empathy really goes out to the New Zealanders. It's actually sad that somebody had to lose. They, they played so well, they deserved, um, you know, to win also, and... I'm just thinking of every New Zealand church today. Because you must remember that for them, it was Sunday morning. So I know of New Zealand churches that watched the, the game together and then had church after the, after the match. Imagine being the worship leader that Sunday morning. Come on, everybody, let's praise the Lord. You know, it's like, woohoo, I don't know. So um, I'm thankful we're on this side of the victory, but it is remarkable. But I think as a nation, we have to recognize that we can only play the, our nation really needs it card for so long. You know, we can't, we can't for decades go, our nation really needs this, and the Lord has to give it to us, you know, so we, we have to get our act together. But I think it's appropriate to just thank the Lord this morning and applaud our Springbok team. Just give him a good round of applause. And, um, you know, and our captain, Sia Kulisi, what a, what a man, what a gentle gentleman, what a, just a, a leader. And um, it was nice to see Wim Siddle there also last night. Although everybody was waiting for him. Is he going to make the announcement? Is it going to be a public holiday? Did he say something? I, did, have I missed something? I don't know, if he says tomorrow is a public holiday, we're going to still work. I can't see us not working, so praise the Lord. <laughs> but okay, so today we're starting with our new series, and that'll take us up until December, so it's our, our last focus for this year, um, and the series is entitled Free Indeed, and we are going to consider over these next couple of weeks what it means to be free in Jesus, and what is this freedom that we sang and celebrated today? What does that really mean? And I want to remind you that our, our theme for this year has been fruitfulness, and we want to live lives that are fruitful, that displays who God is, that honors the Lord, that, that gives others an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. And the, the only way we can do that is as a response, sorry, this microphone's moving a little bit, but I'll be okay, as a response, a freedom response, because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's why we want to end this year within the context of fruitfulness with this series on free indeed. Now, our core scripture for this series is John chapter 8, verse 30. And I'd love you to just go on your device or uh, on your, in your Bible and go with me to John chapter 8. And we're going to be reading those seven verses from verse 30 to 36. Uh, but I'd love for you to just be in that scripture with me today. So if you're online with us, please just you know, get your Bible and, and let's, as they say, mosey on over to John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, verse 30 to 36, we, we, we come across a very, very familiar statement of Jesus, probably one of the phrases that is most often quoted of one of the things that Jesus said. 
The context of the scripture is that Jesus is entering a bit of a, a, a space in his ministry where his popularity is on the rise. People are, if you read verse 30, it says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. It started happening that wherever Jesus went, a crowd would gather. His Facebook page was just you know, moving off the charts. People were friending him everywhere they could go. He's, he was even getting paid content you know, for, for his YouTube channel. He was starting to get some money back because advertisers picked up that Jesus is a hot topic. And, and you know, people were just, he was, he was trending on Twitter everywhere. People were just like, where's Jesus? I want to be around Jesus. And they were excited about Jesus. And so typically what Jesus does when when that happens is he challenges the crowd. So in John chapter 8, we read, as I've just read, that many were believing in him. These were obviously Jews, that many of the Jews who believed in him. To the Jews who believed, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So you can imagine almost Jesus possibly, let's say, one day walking and he's in a space and an environment in one of the towns or villages or somewhere. And there's like people all around him. And they're excited about Jesus. And they, they want to just be close to Jesus. And, you know, he's handing out autographs. And I don't know what he, you know, chiseling them on a little tablet or something. I don't know what's going on. But it's like stuff's happening. And in the midst of it, Jesus stops. And he's like, listen, guys, it's great that you're all very excited about me and that you now, you know, following me and you know showing interest in me but I just want to remind you that if you really want to be my disciple it takes more than just being excited about me and paying attention to me it requires a bit more and then he begins to explain to them now how many of you remember in August we had Peter Tarantal come and share with us in our faith promise season and he spoke about what, are, what, are, what is the difference between fans and followers. You remember when he spoke about that? Who can remember what he said? What is the difference between a fan and a follower? He said a fan is somebody who shows interest in somebody else because of what they could get from that person. Whereas a follower is more about that person that they're following and, and saying, I need, to, I need to know what this person knows. I need to Give my life in some form to this person. And Peter said, we must always remember there's a difference between those two. And so Jesus has a lot of fans following him, but he stops them and he says, if you really want to be a follower of mine, if you, if you want to be counted as one of mine, then you have to know the truth. Uh, if you, no, sorry. Let me skip it. He said, if you really want to be my disciple, you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now, what does that mean, hold to his teaching? Another biblical word for that word hold would be abide, remain, continue. He's saying, it's not just coming to see what you can get from me. It's actually you have to come and learn from me and allow me to teach you. And you've got to stay in my teaching. You've got to remain in my teaching. You've got to allow my teaching to begin to infiltrate every area of your life. You have to reorganize, restructure, just reform your life around what I'm wanting to teach you and impart to you. This is not a once-off event or a couple of 
sermons that you listen to and you are now my follower. This is you remaining, staying in my teaching. He says, if you do that, then you will be known as a disciple of mine. And what will happen in your life is then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How many of you know that saying of Jesus? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What a great saying. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful saying that even makes sense if Jesus hadn't, didn't say it. It's a kind of saying that I think we all would agree with across cultures, across religions, that obviously it's truth that brings freedom. And if you know truth, it will have an impact in your life and bring freedom to you. And so that's why we spend so much money on education, because we want to know truth, because truth brings freedom. That's why we have things like Google. That's why we have universities. That's why we pay people to, to become experts and study things, because the more we know the truth about something, the more freedom that creates for us. I don't think it's a very controversial statement. I don't think this is a statement that you must be careful when you make this statement. Yet what we see happening here is Jesus makes this statement and immediately it offends the Jews to whom he says it. So much so that if you continue to read the chapter, by the time you get to verse 59, they're ready to pick up stones and to stone him. And now I'm not talking about red little angry emoji faces that they were throwing at Jesus or wanted to throw at him. I'm talking about real rocks that would really hurt. They got so upset and offended by what he was saying, which started with this, which seems such an innocuous, nice statement, began to deeply upset them. The only reason they couldn't stone him is because he escaped from them. He slipped out. I don't know what that looked like and how that happened, but he slipped out. But they wanted to kill him. Now, when you say, I'm going to stone somebody, that's not, I'm going to throw one pebble at you and you better not do that again. That is, we're done with you. We think we will be better off if we kill you. And in a religious context like the Jews here, they were basically saying, you are blaspheming. We cannot tolerate you in our midst and in our presence. Why? Why that reaction to such a sort of good, very truthful statement, but not very controversial? Jesus says, let's remind, remind, let me remind you of the statement. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Which part of that statement do you think was so offensive that it caused this reaction from them? Which word in that sentence do you think was controversial? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now I have prepared and read up so I know. It's my job to know things. That last little word, the word free, deeply offended them. Let's read what their response is. So Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? What are they saying to Jesus? They're saying, listen, how dare you say that we are anybody's slaves? We are nobody's slaves. Nobody has ever enslaved us. Now, somewhere along the line, their history teachers failed them. And they were with their heads in the sand. Because how many of you can mention sometimes where the Israelites were enslaved after Abraham? Can we talk about Pharaoh and the Egyptians? Can we talk about 
the Babylonians? Can we talk about the Assyrians? There were many, can we talk about the fact that right in that moment, they are speaking in the, concept, in the context of the Roman Empire, that they are taxed to death as a province of the Romans. They have very little freedom, but yet they say, how dare you say we are enslaved? We are free. We, nobody's ever enslaved us. We are the children of Abraham. We are free. What are they saying? What are they taking issue with? Here, what they're basically saying is, listen, we are God's people. Therefore, inherently, we are free. We are intrinsically free. We may have temporary forces external to us that every now and then come and interfere and don't recognize our freedom and, and obstacles in our road of expressing the freedom we have. Our problem is not that we are not free. Our problem is that those people need to be taken care of. That's why they were excited about Jesus. Because according to them, Jesus was the Messiah. And what was Jesus coming to do? Was going to set them free from the oppression, the injustice of the Roman Empire so that they could live the freedom that is rightfully theirs and that they actually have because they're God's people. So the problem was not here. We are not free. We don't need freedom. We just need the enemy to be dealt with. That's the problem. Do you see the distinction they make? So according to them, slavery is not an internal problem. It's an external problem. That's the thing. That's the issue. But in ourselves, we are actually free. If we just left alone to do what we want, we're free. We don't have a problem. We are nobody's slaves. Now, in a sense, I respect that attitude. Like, listen, it's like Viktor Frankl said, you can take away all our freedoms, but you can never take away a human right, a human person, human beings, basic right to change their attitude. So this is a commendable attitude. The Jews are saying, listen, the Romans can come and do what they want. Like the Babylonians, like the Pharaoh. It can't change who we are. It can't change what we have inside. We are free. That's a commendable attitude. But yet, Jesus doesn't seem to appreciate that attitude. And he pushes the point. And if you continue to read, he starts calling them demon-possessed, and then they told, call him demon-possessed, and so they're fighting with each other, and he's allowing the situation to escalate till the point where they want to kill him. And there's like a huge controversy. What is Jesus doing? Why is he fostering this argument? Then he says to them, after they've now given their speech about Abraham, he says, very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now we start getting to the core issue here. The question I want to ask you today to think about with me is this question. If we say you are free, I want to ask you, free from what? What are you free from? If we sing songs, free indeed, free from what? What freedom do you have? What is this freedom that we celebrate so much? The word freedom is one of the most thought of, written about, studied concepts in the world, in human history and today. What does it mean to be free? What makes you free? Now here we see the Jews 
have a perspective. Their perspective is we are free because we're God's children. We have a covenant with God. Therefore, we are free. Anything that causes us to not live free, it's not because of us. It's because of some external power like the Romans or whoever. They are the obstacles to our freedom. Tax is an obstacle to our freedom. Caesar is an obstacle to our freedom. If we just get rid of those things, we will live our freedom. I think if you listen to that, it sounds very much like the modern day discourse that we have around this word freedom. Just listen to the news, just read newspapers, read articles, listen to people talk. We have generally the same conviction today still. That as human beings, it is our right to be free, we're entitled to freedom, and we actually are free within ourselves. We just unfortunately have issues in our society that curbs our freedoms. So let's say, for instance, in modern day, this is how we would put it, if you have a bit more of a conservative slant, then you would believe this, that you would believe that freedom is the right of every human being to just live their lives, enjoy their lives, and enjoy what they've got in life, their possessions and their riches and their, their opportunities. Just, and if you just get out of my way, then I'll be free. So therefore, one of the ways to, do, to deal with, to have freedom is to make sure you have as small as government as you possibly can. Because the bigger the government, the more they'll infringe on my freedoms. In South Africa right now, it's very hard to do business because the government has so many laws and restrictions. And I mean, even you and I experience it, just to do your banking has become so complex because there's so many laws and rules that have because of corruption. And so that we feel more, less and less free. Law-abiding citizens in our nation feel less and less free because there's more laws being passed, more things being done. And we all feel like, if you just leave me alone, and just allow me to do what I want to do and enjoy what I've got. I won't bother anybody else. I can be free. So let's just limit government. Let's make a small enough government. That's a, a little bit of a conservative view on it. Then you can go to some other thoughts on freedom today. Perhaps we think more in the lines of what we would call ret, uh, ret, redistributive justice or social justice. We will say basically in our society, yes, people can be free. And in our nation, this is particularly something we wrestle with at the moment. People in our nation have achieved freedom in terms of they can vote. They've got political freedom, but they don't have financial freedom. So how can we have freedom in South Africa if people can't, they can vote, but they can't buy food? And I'm not just talking about eggs. I'm talking about anything. And nobody can buy eggs at the moment. Did you hear that? Did you see that thing of the, the egg that fell on the ground? And the guy was sitting there looking at the broken egg and he was saying, I'm just waiting for the insurance assessor to come and see what the value is of, you know. In our nation, we, we wrestle with that because we've achieved some form of freedom that promised so much, but decades later, people are going, but I'm no financially better off. So how do we create economic freedom? And so we have a thought that perhaps if we do this thing of redistributive justice, we will say, listen, the way to achieve freedom is that, that we've got to take from the people that have too much and redistribute it so that everybody can have. And then if everybody has, then everybody can be free. That's a thought of freedom. Or what we have another thought, a way that we think about freedom nowadays, and it's really become popular in the last decade, and you bump, you bump into this every day wherever you go, is a theory that's called intersectionality. This started come, coming about 1989, 
uh, articles, uh, a professor was teaching about this. It first of all sort of just developed in academic circles, but now it's become popular belief. Intersectionality says this, that there are many people in society that do not just experience injustice in one way, they experience it in many different ways, and it sort of layers upon each other. So there are people that experience justice, injustice because of their race, because of their gender, because of their sexuality, because of their, if they're able-bodied or not able-bodied, because of their financial well-being. And so we, we have this sort of thought that, that there are people that are, if you put all these layers on top of each other, they are really experiencing injustice where other people perhaps only have one or two layers. So who deserves freedom more than who? becomes the debate. Who do we need to work hard? Who do needs our attention to make sure that we correct this, this intersectionality of injustice that has happened in one person's life so that we can set them free? Now, all of these theories are worthwhile thinking, reading, debating about. Because there's all a level of truth to it. We do have government that interferes and takes some of our freedoms away. We do have people that are not economically free. And in this nation, some people, no matter how hard they work, they will never become free. We, we have systemic issues and problems in that regard. We do have intersectionality of some people that are bearing the burden more than others. These are all worthwhile exercises. But Jesus... Like he was standing in front of the Jews, I believe, would stand in front of our society today and say, you're missing the point. You don't know what's really holding you captive. You don't know what the root of the problem is. Perhaps through your thinking and your studying and your research and your, and your discussions and your debating, you're starting to get a sense of the problem. You're starting to identify the complexities of the problem. You, you're perhaps doing a, a better job at diagnosing the disease, but your problem is you're not understanding where the root lies, what the real problem is. That's why he says to these Jews, he says, very, very, very truly, I tell you, and when John writes very truly, he does it a couple of times in the book of John, it's like he's saying exclamation mark, exclamation mark, bold letters, now you better listen to what Jesus is saying. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Who sins? Do the Jews not sin but the Romans sin? No. What Jesus is saying Every person is a slave to sin. What is Jesus doing? He's changing the focus where everybody, us included, focuses on an external problem. Jesus begins to focus on an internal problem. He says, that's not your first problem. Your first problem is not the stuff around you. Your first problem is what's going on inside of you. You have a sin problem. And that's what offends the Jews, ultimately. Because we God's people, the Jew says. We have a covenant with God. God's coming to fetch us because we are his people. Now Jesus turns around and says, no, no, no. You have a problem. You are as enslaved as what your Roman occupiers are. You have the same problem than they have. 
You're no different. You're no better than them. Can you understand how this could offend them? Get them really upset? I mean, this is close to home for many people. They've been fighting, fighting. Sorry, my Afrikaans <laughs> just popped out there. Or something happened. I don't know what they've been. They've been fighting an oppressive regime for a long time, standing against it, praying, trusting God. And now Jesus comes and says, "Hey, I'm the Son of God. By the way, I'm the I'm the God you've been waiting for." And sorry, guys, your problem is not that oppressive regime. Your problem is the oppression, uh, oppression within your own hearts. That's where your slavery comes from. That's a tough, tough thing to say to people. But that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We are all equal in this. We are sinners. We sin differently. Some, sin, some of us, our sins are more advanced than others. Some sins are more accidental than some others. But the reality is when we stand before God, we are all guilty of sin and we are enslaved to sin. That's what Jesus says. So Jesus makes a radical statement. And if I translate that, what he's busy saying to them in answer to the question, free from what? Jesus is, introduces this radical idea into the human discourse and into human history which is just an extenuation of what God was saying in the Old Testament. Jesus' radical idea is that you are not free. And second to that, you will never set yourself free. He flies right against the face of this belief that they had, that they were actually free. Intrinsically, because of their Jewishness, they were free. In the same way, he flies against the modern person that says, because I'm a human being, I have a right to freedom and I'm intrinsically free. Jesus says, you're not free. Let me tell you today, you are a slave. You think you have freedom. And then he talks to them. He says, you know, a slave does have no rights in the house. But sons have. He's saying to them, I don't want you to be slaves, but that's what you are. And you fool yourself. You think because of certain trappings and things that you are free. But I'm here to tell you, you are not free. You have to identify the real problem. You are slaves to sin. So first of all, you have to recognize, I am a slave to sin. And then secondly, I cannot save myself. I cannot change that. You see, if we have an a, 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 a inherent idea that I'm free as a human being, it's only outside forces that is stopping me from expressing and living my freedom. And if I just get rid of them, then, then, I, then I'll be okay. Then I don't need anybody to help me. Then, I'm a, then we must help ourselves. Wherever I'm not free is because I am allowing somebody to take my freedom or, or you know, I'm not standing up against it enough. I must set myself free. Jesus says you can't. Because this problem is you. You are the problem. How do you change the problem if you are the problem? Think about it radically. Jesus is standing here as the judge of the universe 
In, in front of him stands a Roman emperor and a Jewish rabbi. And he points at both of them and says, guilty, guilty. Neither of you are free. That's what Jesus basically does. And he stands before me and you and he says, you are not free. And you cannot set yourself. Even if you have a great attitude, even if you say, I'm not going to let them change my attitude. They can take away my stuff, but they can't take away how I feel about my, and you know, if, even that. It's great, it's fantastic to have that attitude. It's better. But it can't set you free from the real problem, which is, I'm a sinner. I'm a slave to sin. And that's why Jesus ends with John 8 verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free. You cannot save yourself. You cannot be free on your own and you cannot save yourself. You see, if I for any moment believe that I'm, I don't have a slavery problem, that I'm free, it's only other people that don't know that, don't act accordingly. And secondly, if I think, well, I have some issues, but I can save myself or other people can save me, I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. Well, definitely not a Jesus that dies on the cross. I don't need that Jesus. I have no need for that Jesus. Why would I need such a Jesus? I may have need for a Jesus that is a great teacher, a revolutionary, a Jesus that comes and shows me that I'm not free and tells me you can set yourself free. Just start doing the right things and, and you will be free. I may have space for a Jesus like that, but a Jesus that comes and dies on a cross, what use does that Jesus have? He only has use if I understand how deeply enslaved I am to my sin. And that nothing can break me free from that except a divine act of God that breaks the unbreakable. The anointing will destroy the yoke. Who is the anointing? Jesus Christ. The anointing will destroy the yoke. It is only if I receive that Jesus is not just a great man or a revolutionary, uh, uh, you know, somebody that's come to set us free, but that I recognize that he is the son of God that came and lived among us to show us who the father is. He didn't come of his own, but came to represent the father and then died, was killed by us in our sin and rose on the third day to show us that there is a way out from underneath our slavery. It's the only option we have. Now, what does that mean for the Christian when it comes to the injustice of this world? Because we do live in an unjust world. Are we preaching a gospel that says we don't care about injustice and poverty and discrimination? And we, don't, we don't really want to talk about sexism, racism, xenophobia, corruption. No, not at all. We have all the more reason to talk about those things. You know that as one on our front line that we talk about what is one of the six M's. To be a mouthpiece for truth and justice. Because we have the truth, we, we must call out wherever we see injustice because injustice does not represent who God is. It is not God's rule. It's not God's way. So therefore, as the Christian, I can stand up and say, that is not just. But as the Christian, <laughs> I do it from a place of humility. 
Do you know why? Because I am that injustice myself also. I'm no better than the other person that's causing injustice. I may behave better. I may have caused less damage. You may have caused less damage than somebody else. But a Christian recognizes I have the same issue as that person has. My sin means in the right circumstances, I have the potential to do exactly the same thing as that person did. My, hold on, do you love me? Oh, should I pull back? Okay, thank you. My race doesn't mean I'm less susceptible to certain things than somebody of a different race when it comes to sin issues. My gender doesn't mean that. Aina? Nothing separates me from you. You see, we can't preach the gospel on the one hand. Hey, we're all created by God, made in His image, lovely. But when it comes to sin, we want to say, yeah, but that group is a bit more sinful than that group. If that was true, then Jesus couldn't die for all of us at the same time. He dealt with one problem through one sacrifice on one cross because we all have the same universal problem. Yes, it is expressed differently. Yes, it has different dynamics. And it is worthwhile. Christians in this nation should understand the problems of injustice, the complexities, the the. We should not have run away from it. We should address it in our daily lives. And if you're in a space of where you have leadership in those places, you need to trust God. How do we deal with it? But we know that the fundamental root to the problem is a sin problem. That no philosophy, no ideology, no doctrine, no political party, no movement can break us free from. It can shift it around, but it will not set us free as a humanity. South Africa will not be free from our history and that which has burdened and continues to enslave so many of our people until we come to the point where we address the bottom line issue. Otherwise, we just move the problem around. God is wanting to do something more powerful than that. But that begins, I, I, I have no control over anybody else. All I can do is say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. Teach me to live differently. Teach me your way. And let your truth set me free. And that begins by me recognizing I'm not free. And I can't set myself free. So I come with this with you, great humility with great humility. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I want to ask you a question today. Worship team, will you guys join me? Sorry, Luke, I'm looking at you. Team, will you please join me? I'd like to ask you and invite you over the next weeks as we dig into this series. And today was really foundation. This is me starting below the foundation. So we'll, we'll talk about, more, you know, more, more happy things. But we need, to, we need to start, I believe, on the right space. And so I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to think about your freedom. 
to consider what you feel is keeping you from the freedom of being who God's made you to be. From your human flourishing, from your fruitfulness and expressing, from your possibility to have the best life. And I think if we think about it, all of us can identify external things that are, in, you know, that are curtailing our freedom. But what I would like you to do is to step through that and go, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need a savior. Show me my own sin. Let me begin there and deal with that. Now, when I was eight or nine years old in this very church, I started my journey with the Lord Jesus and I said, Lord, forgive me my sin and his blood cleansed me and put me on a new path. So as we always say, in one sense, I'm set free from sin, but in another sense, every day through my process of sanctification and discipleship, my followership where every day I say, Lord Jesus, teach me your word. Every day I'm being set free from my own sinfulness. That's what we do as disciples. Won't you stand with me? And what I'd like you to do is just, in this moment, I need you to, to come to Jesus. Now, if I've said something this morning that touched a nerve, if I was insensitive in a way, forgive me and forget about me. Can you, beyond that, if there's something you really feel like I said and you need to correct me or, or speak to me about it, you're more than welcome to do that. I'd love to engage. I want always learning. You're my community. You are who I learn with. So if I can learn something, that's, I'm so open to that. But this morning I want to invite you, as Letitia earlier said, to a broad open space. A space where there's no competition, where there's no favorites, where there's no hedging, no protectionism, where we are all children of the Lord. We can feel safe to come and say, Lord, I want to be free. I want to be free. So as we sing this song, I don't know which song you feel, but whatever, dear. Why don't you just come into a space like that and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I come in humility. If there's anything you feel stirring in your spirit, just speak to the Lord about it. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to the people of this nation, to the people of this continent, Lord. Lord, we thank you that your freedom is an absolute freedom. We recognize the injustice. We recognize the racism. We recognize the, the, the xenophobia, Lord, the, the gender inequalities, the, the violence in homes, children suffering. We recognize those things, Lord, and we, will, we refuse to look away from it. We refuse to not speak into those places and serve and make a difference. But Lord, we recognize that the only way we can do that is from a place of freedom. Not a place of judgment, not a place where we think inherently I'm better than somebody else. But a place of humility, recognizing what you have saved me from. And so Lord, thank you that each of us can go into our front lines and be used by you. But today I want to pray that any person here today online with us that is, that is experiencing the crushing weight of injustice, I want to pray for them today in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that there would come a freedom, 
first of all, in their own spirit and in their own heart, that they will know that they can be free from sin and free from guilt and shame and the lies of the devil. And then secondly, I pray, Lord, that you would do a miracle in that situation and that justice, equity, and truth will prevail. In our nation, on this continent, and in this world, we pray, Lord, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. If you need prayer this morning, our team will be in the front. I want to invite you today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've not ever come and said, Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner, come to the front, our team will pray with you, just tell them, I need to pray the sinner's prayer, and they will pray that with you. Any other prayer, please come and our team will be with you. Remember to meet Letitia if you want to find out more about our community in the Connect Lounge, uh, in the foyer hall, and please be there and meet with them. Also, the Lord bless you. Have a fantastic, fantastic day.